I'd just like to welcome um, Aslam Rafi. Myself and um, Steve Song are going to um, essentially interview Aslam Rafi. We're going to be gentle with Aslam. Um, Aslam is the uh, chairperson of the Open Source Working Group. And uh, most importantly, he's also the CIO uh, of the Department of Science and Technology. So he's a major, major open source advocate in, in government, uh, which is pretty interesting. And if you think about it, you know, in, in uh, democracies and uh, open source actually go in hand. I mean, open source is about collaboration, participation, op openness of, of information. And that's what a democracy, a democracy is, is about or should be about. So I think you know, open source uh, platforms, open source culture is very kind of significant and, and pertinent, pertinent in a democratic context. Um, and we've certainly kind of seen some successes in Brazil. I mean, Brazil is a very well-known country for its uh, open source uh, innovation. So um, Aslam, I'm going to hand it over to you. And Aslam's going to tell us... Uh, Essentially, how kind of working in an open way, you know, in a government context, um, actually, you know, benefits government and benefits the lives of uh, South African citizens. So, Aslam, I think uh, Aslam will talk a bit about what he's doing and the projects he's been doing, and then after he's finished, uh, Steve and I will uh, do a bit of an interview process for about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and then after that, what we'll do is just. Uh, We'll open it up to the floor to ask questions uh, directly to, to Aslam. So, Aslam, over to you. Hi, everyone. Yeah, uh, I'd just like to give a little background in terms of uh, where we are and uh, how we got here. So, um, I, I think where we really started uh, on this journey in government was way back in 2001. And uh, open source came up on the agenda. Um, there were uh, questions asked in parliament. Um, the Presidential International Advisory Council had raised issues around open source. And um, in 2001, there was a, a research paper, a policy paper called um, Open Source and Open Standards, Bridging the Digital Divide that was uh, published by the uh, National Advisory Council on Innovation. So um, as IT officers in government, we were asked, what, would our, what is our response? So um, the way we work um, in government is that the CIOs, uh, that's the chief information officers, the people responsible for IT strategies in all the departments, we have a forum. And within that forum, we have working groups. So we'll have a working group that looks at, or standing committees. We'll have a standing committee that will look at procurement or security. So we formed one around open source. And the initial brief we were given was, what should our response be? To open source um, and the kind of context we looked at uh, or what the task we were given was should we ban it from our network and, and at the time I think that was uh, what people thought uh, we should do we should completely ban uh, open source from government networks because government systems can't run on software that is developed by a group of people and there's no reliability there's no support and it's just a bun bunch of guys, you know, doing their own thing. And we can't rely on that kind of uh, software, and it shouldn't be allowed into a government network. So we formed this work group. Um, the first meeting uh, had three people in it. 
And uh, I think part of our success is uh, those three people are still in government. Uh, I was one of them. So in uh, 2001, 2002, we had our first meeting and we wanted to have some sort of an idea of what was the perception and awareness uh, of open source in government. So we did, a, uh, we, we did a little research exercise and after about the first or second day we had to stop it because no one actually knew anything. You know, we phoned up people and said, you know, what, what is your opinion on open source? And they said, what? You know, there was just no, no awareness amongst uh, government IT officers and managers around open source. So we went back, we started uh, the whole work group, we have our meetings, and we came up with a strategy document in terms of our response to the question, what should government do about open source? And our first finding was that open source has a lot to offer government. There is benefit in using open source, and government should go ahead and use open source. And we backed it up with a whole lot of uh, reasons why we thought um, that was the case. It included things like security and reducing the total cost of ownership, but I think also looked at um, the ownership or the access to, the, to, to information, the ability of government to take ownership and uh, future-proof a lot of our uh, projects and uh, our software applications. Uh, from there, we developed a policy statement and we took it to um, cabinet in 2003. And, um, I think basically our approach was that we should have a three-phase approach to open source. The first one would be to create awareness. It's to create, just make everyone aware of open source and the issues around uh, open source software. The second approach would be to pilot it in government and roll it out. And the third approach would be a very aggressive mandating uh, and a, a very uh, forceful adoption of open source in government. Um, in 2005, um, we had the Go Open Source campaign, and that was a, uh, a campaign that included civil society organizations, government research agencies, and some uh, private sector bodies. I, I think HP was the main sponsor there. Um, the, also in 2004, we had civil society organizations petition government, and they said that we should adopt open source. So between 2003, when we went to cabinet with the policy and cabinet approved it, and, and, and it said that you know we should favor open source and we should really look at open source as an option for our systems. Between 2003 and 2006, we had seen no implementation. So it was, yes, we wrote this document and we think it's a good idea, but we didn't actually do anything about it. So at, in 2005, 2006, we had civil society organizations actually petition the Minister of Public Service and Administration, asking, them, asking her to make sure that government implemented this policy because they believed by government adopting open source and government is the biggest procurer of uh, IT services and products. Uh, I think about 60% of the IT spend in South Africa is from government. And the civil society organizations at that time said, if government adopts it, it will make it easier for them to adopt it because it will mean uh, more skills, uh, better support, and it would allow them to, open, uh, to adopt open source in their uh, business. So um, 
2006-2007, uh, cabinet came back to us and said, you know, you came to us in 2003, you asked us to adopt this policy, we adopted it, what have you actually done? What is the implementation? And we'd like you to report back on it. Uh, at that stage, we said, well, you know, we don't have actually anything to report back on it. Um, as the KITOC body, we're an advisory body. And our advice to departments was that this is a good thing to do. But actually, force, forcing implementation was up to the individual IT and CIOs in those uh, departments. So what we then said uh, is that what we'd like to do is actually come back with a much stronger policy, one that would really make sure that implementation happens in, in, in government departments. So in 2007, we went back to cabinet with a reworked policy. And this policy was much stronger in the sense that it mandated uh, certain things. Um, and there were three things that we looked at. It was open source, open standards, and open content. And I think at that stage, it was a realization that it wasn't just about open source. But we had seen it, an entire open philosophy being developed. And we were now not just interested in open source, but open content. And soon we will see things like open hardware, open services, um, and you know, different open interfaces. So well, our policy was to go back to, to, to cabinet. And we said, we want you to, man to mandate open standards. But firstly, uh, the policy should be that every system developed by government should be based on open source. Um, we had to also give people an escape clause. If there was a valid reason why uh, systems shouldn't be developed in open source, they should have that ability to back out. And one of the examples was for privacy or security issues. Uh, and mainly the Department of Defense uh, needed that. So um, our first policy was, our statement was open source will be used unless there's a valid and a justifiable reason um, that it uh, it shouldn't. And I think this is important because it, it meant that um, IT officers had to apply their minds. They had to justify the reasons why they weren't using open source. Um, the, the, the second was that we would use open source methodologies. So the way we would produce it would be in a collaborative, open licensed way. The third was that everything should be open content unless there was a good reason. And I think security and privacy, again, was the main reason for that. So open content, except where, you know, escape clause again. And then the third, um, the, the other um, policy statement was that not only would we use it, but we would encourage uh, the use of open source and open content. Um, and we got cabinet to approve that. Uh, there was uh, some issues, some debates, but it's now implemented and I think every government department is very well aware of the policy. We now need to implement it. The mechanism we put in place to do that was to create a steering committee, and this is the Director Generals of Departments of Science and Technology, Public Service and Administration, and uh, the CEO of CETA. Um, the steering committee now plays an oversight role of a program office which sits at CETA, so we've got a program office sitting at CETA that needs to make sure that um, uh, this policy is implemented. But um, the responsibility of implementing the policies really sits with the CIO of every national department. 
And the reason is that we're quite unique in some ways. Um, there's a lot of uh, things that are similar in, in different departments, but um, there is some unique, uniqueness in, in our systems. And the main point is that we shouldn't, uh, or public service and service delivery should not suffer. Uh, you can't say we're rolling on open office and that's why we can't give you a document. So it's really up to the CIOs to develop those strategies and it's up to CETA to make sure where there is synergies and there is an ability to coordinate activities to make sure that that coordination happens. So um, that up till now is uh, where we are in terms of uh, developing that policy. I, I think I can also just say that uh, it, when we went uh, in 2001 uh, with the policy, we were quite uh, surprised to find that most of government systems in terms of infrastructure were already running on open source. So all our email relays, all our web servers, all our DNS servers, all our web proxies, everything was running on a free BSD platform. So we had already had uh, people implement it and I think the main reason we had such a strong open source component in that area it was, was that it was easier to just download and use it than perhaps uh, fill in a procurement form. So, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. So th that, that's how uh, open source was very strong in those areas and you know, it's among those stackies that really like uh, the ability and the flexibility that um, it gives. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's a background. <laughs> Thanks, Aslam, for that. Um, you know what I find particularly interesting is your escape clause. Um, because in a business context, um, I often hear when I, when I advocate um, open source, oh, we, we don't want to share our information. Our information's private. And if you think about it, you know, companies are very secretive. You know, they're walled gardens. They don't like to share information. But it's quite interesting that you do build in an escape clause um, for that. So it does show kind of a level of, of, of flexibility, and it's a, it's a good way of approaching it. Steve, do you want to ask a question? Um, in the 1970s, they had, a, they had a phrase in IT departments which went, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. And uh, that was updated, you know, for the 80s and 90s too. Nobody ever got fired from for buying Microsoft. Um, so, is anyone going to get fired for not implementing open source? I hope so. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> the the truth of the matter is that you know when we look at reasons why government deploy certain um, uh, applications. It's no different to uh, why some, in, uh, some, some businesses do it. And if we look at the justifications, we'll come up with, uh, we'll ask someone, why did you implement this? And they'd say, well, we only use best of breed. And, you know, we say, that's not really a good enough reason why. You know, it's, it's about developing a user requirement, and it's about uh, a product that best meet, needs, meets the needs of your um, organization. So... I think the, the very useful thing that this policy brings about is that it actually forces us to justify why we're doing certain things. You know, we really have to have a valid reason. And especially if we're not using open source, we have to justify it. Um, I think the mechanism for monitoring and evaluating is a bit difficult. Uh, we rely on the Public Service Administration and the Auditor General. And I think, uh, you know, maybe that's where 
uh, civil society also needs to play a role. It's really through putting pressure on people like the Auditor General to say, uh, if this cost-effective way of delivering a service is available, why aren't government departments using it, especially since they have a policy that says they will use it? So, yeah, I, I hope that kind of pressure is, is, is put on us. I mean, Aslam, you've obviously, I mean, government's been quite successful in um, implementing open source software. But I mean, you could use uh, open source software and implement it, but not necessarily use it in a kind of open way. So, I mean, you've implemented the open source kind of software, but how have you gone about, like, cultivating and encouraging a, a more kind of open source way of doing things and a more open source culture within uh, government departments? Um. I, I think that's a bit difficult for us right now, and it's one of the challenges because uh, skills, and especially skills in open source, is a uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a very problematic area. Um, when we went to cabinet with the policy, um, the first question, or one of the concerns, was around skills, and we we sort of turned the question around. And up to then, um, CIOs was saying to us, we cannot implement open source because we don't have the skills. And we said, you know, it's actually the opposite. It is really an opportunity for us because open source will allow us to deliver the skills to roll our projects. And, you know, for us, uh, there's a very good paper, I think from the University of Maastricht, that actually highlights the fact that open source is sort of a uh, informal internship program because you participate in the project, you learn the skills, and in fact, you learn skills that aren't necessarily taught at universities. You learn skills around licensing. Uh, you know, no one goes to um, a university doing a BSc and actually comes out with any knowledge around licensing and the issues around licensing. Uh, I, I think also the ability to participate in a development uh, environment where there's over three, 4,000 people uh, that's not something that you learn in a traditional university environment. So um, we've got huge talent challenges in terms of the implementation because there is this persistence of decisions. Um, if you invest in a particular technology and you accumulate years and years of experience, of uh, know-how uh, around that technology, to suddenly change out of that technology is quite difficult. So we have IT managers that all they know is IBM and Microsoft. And now to suddenly get them to think in a different way is quite a challenge. Uh, a two-part question. Uh, one about the, uh, the escape clause. Um, I'm just imagining a scenario where uh, IT manager has been buying from proprietary vendor X for a long time and says, oh, we've got this new open source policy. Um, we're going to have a problem. The vendor says, no problem. Our, our software has a button that goes ping. You just write your requirements. We need the button that goes ping. And, uh, and lo and behold, you have a justification for buying uh, proprietary software. So to what extent do you think that escape clause might be you know, instead of being a crevice, might be a, actually wide enough to drive a truck through. Um, the second question is about the proprietary vendors who, uh, around the world, uh, have a bit of a reputation, some of the larger ones, of 
you know, not necessarily completely scrupulous practices in terms of influencing the purchasing departments of, uh, of government departments, uh, you know, to the point of, say, giving away their software for free for a limited number of years or, you know, uh, flying people to the Olympics, who knows. Uh, so uh, it, to, to what extent have you experienced in this uh, environment sort of pushback from proprietary vendors who obviously have a, have a stake in the outcome? Um, I, I think in terms of that, the escape clause, um, there is that opportunity. Uh, it does exist. But I think what we're asking for is a justification. And, we ho and I'm hoping that by justifying it in a certain way, you also leave yourself open to uh, be uh, taken to account later. So if I justify it to say, this is my user requirement, and this particular application goes ping, <laughs> hopefully later on, you know, when, when my reasoning is there, I, I'll be held account accountable to say, you know, you don't actually have a user requirement for an application that goes ping. Um, so I, I think forcing us to really uh, apply what we should be doing anyway. I think because in very much, in, in real terms, it's, it's very much business as usual. Um, the way we protect our investment in IT, in government, is through um, having access to the code. And that's the only way we can protect that investment. So it, it actually future-proofs our investment in technologies. Um, and, 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 and therefore, I think you know, us justifying why we, we're doing certain things is actually a very good, uh, good thing, even though it might be open to abuse. In terms of um, lobbying, Yes, I think there's been an immense amount of uh, pressure on, on government. And um, I was just earlier this year in um, Senegal, in Dakar. Um, and um, I, I think a lot of the comments I got was that, you know, we are amazed that your government was actually able to withstand the pressure and the lobbying that has happened all over the world. And um, I think having former freedom fighters as ministers actually helps in this particular case. Um, so we have had that, but I've, I think I've even seen it in civil society organizations, and I've asked people in the civil society organizations, what was your intention when you um, lobbied government? Was it just to get a discount on software, or was there another reason? You know, did you really believe in this free open source software? Because all of a sudden you're being lobbied now as well, because you pushed against us. You said we must adopt open source. And now suddenly you're getting free software and you're not complaining anymore. <laughs> What's happening? Um, just one more question before I open up to the floor. I mean, government's done the right thing, you know, pushed by you to kind of adopt open source and an open source culture to some extent. Um, but um, can you give us practical examples of, of like the open source projects that you've been pushing through? Practical examples, a few where it's actually changed the lives of like South Africans and actually made things better. Just a, a couple of practical examples. Um, I, I think one that comes to mind is the track and trace project, uh, Department of Home Affairs, where if you uh, want to know whether you've been married Ill, Ill, uh, without your consent, <laughs> uh, and you send a, a message. I think that whole project was developed and used uh, open source software. Uh, it was also developed locally. Um, I think even 
probably what, what, what would happen is as we, we develop in my own department, we, we're developing a lot of projects or implementing a lot of open source. So, for example, a PABX that we use is called Asterix PABX. And, you know, by us using it in, internally, it also creates a whole skills base around Asterix. And I think we're now seeing uh, lots of implementations of it. I think the DABA project probably uses that. So by us adopting those policies, there's also, you know, this um, creating an entire ecosystem around the projects. Um, we're now looking at document management systems and in government for us to roll out a project, um, a, a system like um, a document management, it just wouldn't be feasible. Um, there's one department that rolled it out to their 300 users and it cost them 14 million. Now, this is an application we need throughout government. You know, document management is quite important for us to keep a lot of the knowledge uh, in the department. And Well... We, we, we have a challenge in the sense that we've done very well in terms of setting policy, but very poorly in terms of implementation. Uh, so we've got to fix that ourselves first. Um, but also we've got the, we need to manage expectations uh, and in terms of what we can do. Um, but definitely in terms of from uh, awareness and, and driving it, we've had huge support from the minister. Uh, she gave the keynote address there um, and, you know, there is an awareness that South Africa and, and we are looked upon as a leader in, on the continent in terms of uh, our strategies. Yeah. Okay, great. I think let's wrap that up. Um, if anyone has any more questions, uh, please uh, track uh, Aslam down and ask him, will you be hanging around here for a while? So Aslam will be hanging around if you've got any more questions. Um, Aslam, thanks for that. Uh, it was very interesting.